I like the slow fade. Makes me feel like a pro. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard, and this is my lovely wife. We're going to be tag teaming this morning. Let's go ahead and do that. There we go. Uh, before we begin the message this morning, though, we want to receive the least of these offerings. So if you guys can come on up, let's go ahead and just start passing those hats. The least of these is an offering we receive once a month. Every bit of this money goes to providing, go ahead, to providing for the poor here in Campbellsville. Uh, we give uh, we give money to single moms to keep gas in their tanks, to keep the electric on. Uh, we go and buy groceries for moms and dads who don't have anything. We buy school supplies for little kids who don't have anything. Uh, you would hardly believe that this stuff happens in Campbellsville, but... Um, it does every single week. Isn't that right, Adam Nunley? That's right. Adam's been charged of this for the last semester. He's been one of our faithful interns. So high fives to you, and I'd encourage you to be generous. This really matters to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't you open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin, or continue, I should say, with... You can go back. Wait just a second. Just, I, I spent a lot of time on this. I want people to see it, Jonathan. We're going to continue our series in Colossians, our Cosmic Christ series. Uh, Today's message is called God at Home. Uh, That is the worst title that I've ever given to any message, but it was the best I could do this week, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, We're going to be looking at the household passage this morning, and Heather and I are are going to, for the most part, speak to husbands and wives, though we will touch some other things. We're going to mostly speak to husbands and wives, and I know we've got a lot of single people in the room, and you might be thinking, well, great. Why did I come to the vineyard this morning? Well, well, hopefully one day you probably won't be single forever. And um, I would have to say that some of the stuff that we're going to share this morning is useful beyond whether or not you ever get married. It's just good kingdom stuff that we need. So why don't we go ahead and put the passage up and I will read it for you. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 18 through the first verse of chapter 4. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. First service that like people were cheering during, <laughs> at various sections. It was funny. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Well, the first thing I want us to grab a hold of this morning is, especially if you've been with us for this series that we've called Cosmic Christ, that there's a a radical transition that's happened from the beginning of this message series to where we're actually at right now. At the beginning, Paul uh, starts talking about the fact that Jesus is the cosmic ruler of the universe. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, some of the most important theology in the whole Bible. It's called the Christ Hymn. 
And it sets out for us that Jesus is, in fact, the cosmic ruler of the universe. He is the Lord of history. He is the Lord of the ever-expanding universe. Right now, the universe is expanding. It's actually growing. The very beginning of creation is not done. It is not finished. It's continuing on. It is expanding at the speed of light. And Jesus is, in fact, the Lord all the way out there on the edges. Not only that, but in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And that Jesus is the man who laid death in his grave. That's how John Mark McMillan puts it. He's the creator of the universe. And in Colossians 1, Paul says that Jesus is in fact holding the universe together. So what we've got is cosmic Jesus, right? Now what we have is our own households, our own wives, our own husbands, our own children. And what we have is not only is Jesus the cosmic ruler of the universe, but he's also... Jesus, the head of every household, all the way down. It's important to note that the Apostle Paul wasn't impractical. He wasn't um, speaking just in some far off, you know, thoughtful way. He was actually speaking practically to the very essence of being a human. It's easy to get caught up in intellectual and theological um, thinking, which is never required to come into the regular life. Like regular life doesn't require that you have an extensive understanding of theology. Like you just live your life. And it's possible to have some really, really elegant thoughts and theological truths and never have the skills and the heart it takes to interact and deal with imperfect people in an imperfect world. So what we really want to grasp here is that we don't want to give into the temptation to only think of God as this cosmic out there, cosmic Christ, but he's also the cosmic Christ that is the Lord over our lives, our regular lives, Monday to Friday, mundane, day to day. Yeah, for a lot of us here in Kentucky, especially in the South, um, the kingdom of heaven or the gospel message has for the most part been just about not going to hell. And I'm here to tell you that the gospel message is not just not going to hell. Because a lot of times the emphasis of not going to hell or get saved and go to heaven, it puts all of God's activity in another place and in another time. And then we become divorced from the very area that God is most interested in working. And one of the things that we see here in this passage is that God is not only interested in the future and God is not only interested in heaven, which is actually coming to earth, but he's actually interested in right here, right now, right in our own relationships, the ones that we live in every single day. Uh, Family is actually meant to be an expression of God's created order. Like creation is an expression of God's order, but family, like our households, moms, dads, kids, jobs, bosses, employees, the way we live our life is supposed to be a place where God's creative order is being expressed. And uh, one of the things that we see about this, this kind of order that God is wanting to establish in the household here, is that it's relational order. This is really important. What we have here in Colossians 3 is relational order. Uh, The reason it's important is because a lot of us would rather have systematic theological order or, you know, order that's based upon some cosmic sense of truth. Uh, The problem with uh, cosmic truth and theological order divorced from every single day is that we can become addicted to systematic things that have to happen, like pushing a button on my microwave, and it can divorce us from God's relational order coming into our families because relational order is actually tougher. 
It's harder. It's slower. It's not direct line. It's curvy. It's U-turns. It's doubling back. It's saying, I'm sorry. It's, it's all this other stuff. So when God's order comes to your house, I want you to know right up the front, it's actually going to come slower. It's going to come slower. For instance, when Heather and I were first married, uh, it's one of my favorite like early marriage stories. Uh, we've been married for what? Almost 15. Yeah, fi- we're almost 15. We're coming up on that. Uh, we got married really young like good Kentucky kids do. <laughs> and um, when we were first married, we didn't have much furniture, but we went and we bought, uh, this is back when, you guys remember the touch lamp? Yeah, right? This was like 15 years ago, a touch lamp was cool. I know you don't believe that now. It was, it's the, you know, you could touch it and there was various degrees of brightness, you know. And we went to Target, we bought a touch lamp. It was it was very expensive. It was fourteen ninety nine. Yeah, it was fourteen ninety nine. We brought oh. it home. We were very proud of it. Uh, it sat there for a few months, um, and I really don't understand or remember what precipitated this particular exchange we had. But the exchange grew beyond conversation. It took on a certain volume. You might call it yelling. <laughs> and then at a certain point in time, Heather grabs the touch lamp and, without unplugging it, launches it at me, and it smashes into the wall. Poor aim. <laughs> and I'm very quick. I ducked. We never had that touch lamp again. But the point is, uh, we've been married for the last 15 years, and we've had some moments. But we've only ever thrown things at one another that one time, right? Right? So God's creative order has begun to work in our house, and He's going to work in our house more. But things we used to do are things we no longer do, and it was slow, and it's taken 15 years, and we're actually getting to the point where we, we, we don't yell. Or throw touch lamps. We don't throw touch lamps. It's, it's first you don't throw touch lamps, <laughs> and then you work, you work for the next 15 years on not yelling, right? But the point is, is that God's creative order comes into our family, and it's a relational order, and relational order is slower, and that's okay. And there's a reason why it's so important that we um, yield to the fact that God wants to have a a say in our home life. And it's because our home life is easily hidden. Like, um, it's one of those areas that you really can present really well and be really messed up in. Mm -hmm. Um, You all know the the story. You, You know a really couple that you think is awesome, and then you find out. There's craziness going on, and you're like, what in the world? I never would have known. They presented so well. And it's for that precise reason that God really um, wants to have a say in how you run your household. He really wants you to bring him into the mundane day-to-day. So you might be thinking now, okay, I've thrown a lot of lamps or <laughs> whatever. Uh, this I've got some really messed up parts in my home life, or you know, I grew up messed up or, or now, you know, don't do this or that right. So you might be doing this checklist of all the things that are wrong. Oh my gosh, dysfunction. Ah, but it's okay because God's order wants to, can, and will break into your dysfunction if you invite him in. Mm -hmm. So so you're saying that Kim and Lamar, Kim, Kim, Kim and Lamar. Oh, even Kim and Lamar. Even Kim and Lamar. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I like the Kardashians. Yeah. Now, as we engage the passage this morning, uh, there are a couple things that I want to point out right up front because 
They are things that can become stumbling blocks to us being able to grab a hold of this passage the way that Jesus would want us to grab a hold of this passage and being able to apply it to ourselves. Uh, Two things in particular. Uh, One of them is a word and the other is an institution. Uh, One of the words that can keep you from grabbing a hold of what the Spirit is saying in this passage is the word submit. I'd say every woman saw that just as soon as it was read. Am I right? Yeah, if, I'm, if you're honest, probably I'm right. And the second thing that I want to bring up here is an institution which seems to be glazed over, but is in fact, it's not. And it's a big deal to the Lord. And the institution is, is slavery. So Paul says here, hey, if you're a slave, you know, don't just, don't just obey your master when his eye's on you, but I want you to work from the heart. And I want to say a couple things here from the very beginning, because... How we handle one ends up spilling into how we handle the other. And this is a really important hermeneutic for how we handle Scripture. Uh, I hope most people in the room understand that slavery is not okay and was never a part of God's design or His heart. So why is it in the Scripture like this? Well, one of the reasons it's in the Scripture like this is because God is really patient and He's really willing to work with people right where they're at. God is always just working with the raw materials that are available to Him. And a couple thousand years ago, particularly in Rome, slavery was like normal. God wasn't okay with it, but he was, it was totally normal. These were, these were the, the things that were available to God in terms of being able to work with. Uh, some, some anthropologists think that as many as 40% of the population in Rome were probably slaves at the time of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So this is the culture. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's some, it, has, it still has some strings in our own culture you know, from the last 150 years. But for the most part, we're over it and, we've, and we've, we, we don't even understand what it means anymore. But it was, it, this was really where God was coming from. So it's not God's heart. Um, it's just God using what's available to him. And by the way, I hope you understand when you read this passage closely, Paul doesn't give his, seal, his seal of approval to that system. Rather, he shows how the kingdom of God can come into any system, even something as unjust as slavery. Like the kingdom can show up. Like the place where you're most oppressed is actually a place where Jesus can show up and do a work. Likewise, in the church uh, and the culture of Colossae, um, it was extremely patriarchal. So not only was slavery a common and normal thing, but it was an extremely patriarchal society, meaning that men had all the power. Men had all the power. They didn't have some of the power. They had all the power. Uh, women were little more than property. Women were around to do two things, cook and make sons. That's really it. Now, this is, this is hard for us to grab a hold of because a lot of things have changed. But basically, your wife is like your pickup truck. And it's important to note here that the scripture is saying something that was very subversive to the prevailing culture. This is really important, and I hope you notice this. The scripture is saying something very subversive to this patriarchal um, slavery kind of culture. Uh, What it's saying is this. I want you to notice that no one would have thought anything. No one would have thought anything of Paul saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Of course they do, right? Of course they do. My wife is my pickup truck. She better do what I say. No one would have thought anything of wives submitting to their husbands. No one would have thought anything about children obeying their parents. Right? 
Of course they do. And no one would have thought anything about slaves obeying their masters. The subversive part was this. The subversive part was when Paul said that husbands should love their wives without being harsh. And the subversive part is that fathers should not be uh, harsh or provoke their children unto discouragement. And the subversive part is that masters should be just and fair with their slaves. See, these instructions don't hit our ears the way they would have for people living 2,000 years ago. And I hope that you notice that Paul's instructions uh, this morning, they're really singling in on one person. And the person they're singling in on is the man. Because the man is the only one who can love his wife without being harsh. And the man is the only one who can be gentle with his children without discouraging them. And the man is the only one who would have owned slaves and could have treated them justly and fairly. Paul is pointing out something here to men. See, the kingdom is big enough. The kingdom is actually big enough for everyone. The kingdom includes fathers. It includes mothers. It includes children. It includes slaves. It includes masters. But God is saying something here. Not only is the kingdom big enough for everyone, but it speaks to those in power with particular force. The kingdom is saying something in this passage that everybody in the room needs to hear because we all engage in this at a certain level. The kingdom is saying to everyone in power... You better not use your power in a way that oppresses the disadvantaged. And this sort of not using your power in a way that oppresses the disadvantaged starts at home. It starts at home. Hope we can see that. Uh, Before we go any further, we should probably ask ourselves, who is in power? Who is in power? Well, in this passage and in Paul's day, it was mostly men. And to a certain degree, it still is that way even in the modern culture. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but only 8.5% of the world's billionaires are women. There's about 1,200 billionaires in the world, and something like 100 of them are women. And of the 100 that are billionaires in the world, uh, they all inherited it. Almost every single woman inherited it. So this says something about the world we're living in. So in Paul's day, who was in charge? It was mostly men. To a large degree, that's still true. But at the same time, I want us to understand this. Uh, In Paul's day, every single woman was a stay-at-home mom. Not some of them. All of them were stay-at-home moms. All of them. Now, today, today, there are stay-at-home dads. Things have changed. Things have totally changed. In Paul's day, all the women women were stay-at-home moms, and it was a man's job to provide and protect. But now, there are a lot of moms who are the breadwinners, And there are a lot of stay-at-home dads. And for the most part, none of the men in this room are protecting their families from an invasion by Germanic tribes from the north. Right? Why am I bringing this up? Well, in Paul's day, a man's number one job was to provide and to protect his family. Protect his family from who? People who would want to take from you. People who would want to take maybe your wife or maybe your son. Or maybe some people who just want to take advantage of you and take advantage of everything that you have going on. I want, you, I want to tell you something. Like, we're not fighting for that kind of stuff right now. And by the way, I'm thankful. David Manning and I don't have to use our physical strength in order to be of service to our family. And because of that, some things have changed. And because of that, the way we apply this passage to our own kingdom dynamic at home has radically changed radically changed so the playing fields are leveled and that's a good thing and i just want to say as a pastor i think if you're a stay-at-home dad and that's the way that you and your wife have it worked out i think it's totally cool like jesus ain't falling off his throne and if the wife makes more money than the than the dad that's totally fine like jesus is not upset okay 
And there's a way for us to see this. What is the Spirit saying to us in this passage mostly? He's saying, if you're strong, you better not use it to oppress the weak. So we don't want to get hung up on a, the word submit, the institution of slavery. But the other thing we don't want to get hung up on is the, um, the tendency we have to try to turn everything into a law mm-hmm. and a checklist. And so what this passage is not is it is not a checklist of specifically how your family should look. And, that, and you know, Adam touched on that. But every family is going to look different. Um, and the reason that is left so vague in here, and the reason that he doesn't specifically say, women, you should all learn to sew, and men, you should all trap bears, or whatever, is because <laughs> I thought about that one a long time. Yeah, that is, just came to you, didn't it? <laughs> was it that obvious? He's annoying. Uh, is because it's left vague because um, God wants us to seek his spirit. He really wants us to seek after him. And as individual and particular as we all are, we all have different personalities, different um, likes, dislikes, the ways we are. He made us that way. And he wants us to seek him out in those ways in our homes. And so this is not a checklist of when you should put your kids to bed, how many kids you should have, and what your marriage should specifically look like. Rather, it's more about mindset, heart issue, and priorities. That's what this passage is getting at. It's getting at the mindset that we have about our home, about the most intimate part of our life, which is spent with the the people we love, and how we treat them, and how we think about them, and how we view them. So, the love, the submit, and the obey, there is room for you to seek the Lord, to as to what that looks like specifically in your home. Mm-hmm. And you, that, that means it's going to take intention. That means you just don't let life happen. You intentionally invite the Lord into um, your relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the keys to being able to work that various voice of the Spirit down to the level of our own home, being able to hear the Spirit for my home, being able to spirit, hear the Spirit for your home, I think one of the keys here is... Verse 23. Verse 23 is echoed also in verse 17 and then down in chapter 4, verse 1. Three times in just a few short verses, Paul basically says the same thing over and over. And he says this, whatever you do, do it as, as unto the Lord. Do it. I think this is one of the major keys for how we begin to listen to the Spirit and begin to work our homes and make them kingdom outposts. It's as unto the Lord. This is the center of all that Paul is encouraging. Our lives, everybody in the room has a various context. Uh, Some of us are professionals in the room. Some of us are stay-at-home moms. Some of us are stay-at-home dads. Some of us are in college. Some of us are, you know, over-the-road truckers. But the context that is unifying and holds it all together is really simple, uh, but it's also something that's so simple and obvious that it's easy to forget. And it's the reality that God is the Lord. He's the Lord, and He's the one that we're ultimately responsible to. He's the one that we're ultimately responsible to. So one of the things I hear in this passage is I hear the Apostle Paul, by way of the Spirit, beginning to invite every single person into the, in the room into a higher degree of God consciousness. And here's what I mean by God consciousness. I mean being aware that God is everywhere all the time. It's the most, it's the, it is one of the principal truths of Christianity that is most underdeveloped in the life of a believer. It's the awareness that God, God's here. 
He's not just here during worship when Hannah and the, and the guys are jamming, but he's, he's here and he'll be there with you tomorrow. So developing God consciousness. Why is developing God consciousness a big deal? Because he's the Lord of the universe. In the kingdom of heaven, everyone has a Lord. Everyone has a Lord. In the kingdom of heaven, God is every man's boss. It doesn't matter if you're an employee, a stay-at-home mom, or a stockbroker mom. It doesn't matter if you're a, matter if you're a dad with a su- successful small business. Everyone is submitted to the Father. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Barack Obama has a boss. And it's Jesus. It's the very same boss that you and I have. And this is one of the things that Paul's pointing out. It's unto the Lord. This is one of the ways that we begin to engage in allowing the Spirit to shape our our families and homes. Now, when we begin to engage with that kind of God consciousness, when we begin to do our work and then live our relationships, not just to a person, but unto the Lord, there's some implications. And the first implication is this, that not only is, uh, not only does everyone in the room have a master and the master is the father, the master is Jesus, the master is the Holy Spirit, but our common master, this is a really big deal, our common master loves and cares about everyone. The devil's coming against me. This is really important because it's easy to divide the world in such a way so that the most important person is always me. See, if I don't have a God consciousness that everybody in the world has a boss, whether they know it or not, and if I don't have a God consciousness that I have a boss, and if I don't have a God consciousness that also leads me to understand that my, my master cares for everyone, then it empowers me to become the most selfish SOB in the whole entire world, right? Yeah, see, it's possible to use our strength to further our own agenda. It's possible to use our strength to further our own agenda. It's possible to see our strength and our power as a sort of manifest destiny. God's made me strong in this area. He wants me to keep people in line, right? It's possible to see it that way. It's also, conversely, it's also possible... For us to use our weakness as a reason to only see our need and become bitter at our spouse. Like if I'm a weak person in an area, maybe I've got a spouse who's really strong in an area I'm weak. Man, if I lose God consciousness, if I lose the awareness that God cares about me and her and he actually cares about us the same, then I can become a bitter person in her for her strength because she might be strong in an area where I'm weak. It's a really big deal. See, when the whole time God is for everyone, He's for the weak, he's for the strong, he's for the moms, the dads, and the kids. And keeping God consciousness should keep me aware of other people, especially my spouse. Amen. Another implication when we start living our life at home unto the Lord is um, that our standards of service, love, submission, kindness, work, obedience, all of those things are not measured by our bosses or our husbands or our wives or our friends or our parents. They aren't the ones who set the, the bar. It's ultimately measured by God and his kingdom. What does that mean? Well, let's put it real practical. Mm-hmm. Who loves reality TV? Right here. I love reality TV. If it's um, reality TV, I'm watching it. I'll watch Hoarders, oh. my, my Cat from Hell. Um, every <laughs> Time out. Okay. Have you guys seen Hoarders or My Cat from Hell? They're, they're wonderful shows. I, I love just, them both. I want to say that Hoarders is the scariest show on TV. 
And My Cat from Hell is the saddest show on TV. No, it's good. <laughs> okay. I love Jackson. He's All right, great. Time back in. All right. So, uh, and Wife Swap, remember when that one was big? And, like, I love reality TV. But, getting real here, sometimes when you watch reality TV, you're um, sitting back saying, well, at least I don't, I'm not like that. You know, I, did, I, I watch Kardashians and think, wow, I've got it together. But just because um, in your home, like you might be married to someone passive who lets you get away with being mean, doesn't mean it's okay. Like just because it's okay in our culture or it's okay by the standards of your friends, boss, spouse, husband, whatever, it doesn't mean it's okay. Our standard comes from Jesus. And so we need to really be careful not to get on the comparison wagon, um, especially if you love reality TV. And, and, like, look around and just say, oh, I'm better than them, so I'm okay, and just be settled. But it's really important that it, it's a process and it's constant that you're looking at Jesus. Does this look like Jesus? Does this look like Jesus? And when we do that, we, we notice that Jesus lived his life in submission to the Father. That word gets such a nasty rap because it can be used to oppress. But in this context, and what we're talking about today, is that Jesus submitted his whole life to the Father. And when we learn to submit and serve, then we we would begin to reflect the Father. And we can do this because we have that Jesus that laid down his life ultimately inside. So it's not like we're pulling, grasping at straws and, oh, trying to figure this out on our own. When you accept the Lord as your, or accept Jesus as your Lord, he's on the inside and you can pull from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to say this though, when we're talking about submission, a uh, submission isn't just something that wives do. Submission is actually something that husbands do too. Reason being because Paul's talking about, remember people who are in power, people who are strong, don't you use it over people. But here's one of the things that submission means both to husbands and to wives. Submission means that you're, uh, submission, being submitted doesn't mean that you're not a leader. I think sometimes we have a really hard time with the entire concept of submission because we think that it automatically voids whatever it means for us to be a leader. We like to think of ourselves as a leader. Jesus told me I'm a leader. I got a prophetic word once and somebody told me that I'm going to lead a great revival. And, and we think, well, okay, now I don't know how to work this back around. Well, you need to understand that being submitted doesn't mean that you're not a leader. Uh, Jesus was a leader and he was always ultimately submitted to the father. He said, not my will, what? But yours, not my will, but yours. Uh, and and I, I have to say that in the church in America, that we have ideas of leadership, which have been shaped more by Donald Trump and John Maxwell than they have Jesus Christ. And that's a major problem, major problem. And being submitted doesn't mean you're not a leader, and it doesn't, also doesn't mean you're not powerful. But our idea of power, if it looks any different than Jesus, is, is not the kind of power we should be using. Um, Jesus says that power should actually look like weakness. And that's a really, really strong thing. Um, we don't like that so much, usually, but, but that's the example that we're given. And that is actually where the real power comes from, is laying down your life, submitting. It looks like weakness. We're in an upside-down kingdom, and that's where it lies. Yeah, submission, uh, it doesn't mean that you aren't powerful. Uh, Submission just means that you're not going to use your power to control people. 
And we really have to grab a hold of this thing. See, we have to come to the place where every single person in here, this is an invitation from the Spirit this morning, we have to come to the place where we know, where we know deep down in our hearts that this gospel narrative, and when I talk about the gospel narrative, I'm talking about the life of Jesus. When we we got to come to this place where we know that, that the life of Jesus, that the way he lived, that the fact that he laid down his life, that he died on a cross and that he was resurrected, that that wasn't just true for him and that it wasn't just that, that one-time thing that God did in his son, uh, but it's actually the foundational truth for how the whole universe really is meant to operate. Power is never meant to control people. Power is meant to be uh, of service to people and Uh, Your home and my home is never going to come into kingdom order if I'm using my strength on everybody in the house to make them do what I want. And submitting also um, gets a bad rap when people start feeling like, oh, they're going to lose their identity. You're going to lose your self-value. You're going to lose your self-worth if you submit to another person or to your marriage or whatever. And it's because... It feels like half of this message is un unteaching. That's what we're doing. We're unteaching. We're unlearning. We're, we're unlearning what submit means, um, because that word has been taken out without its anchor. And its anchor phrase in this passage and in life is "as unto the Lord," or as this um, translation says, uh, I can't read it. As is fitting in the Lord, as unto the Lord, to the Lord. That is the anchor for this phrase. Leave that anchor off, and the word submit can become so oppressive and abused. But we just need to tack that phrase as unto the Lord on there, and it gives a whole new context. We don't lose our identity when we submit as unto the Lord. We actually find ourselves. Think of it this way. Um, If you were at a museum, and you're looking at a painting, and it's beautiful, and you think it's awesome, but then what if the artist comes up beside you and starts looking at it with you and starts pointing out things that you hadn't even noticed? Oh, yeah, do you see the blue that that reflects from the bottom up to the top? And then there's this shadow. And and then all of a sudden it takes on new life, and you realize how much more beautiful it is because you have the artist sitting right beside you explaining what his intent was. Well, when we begin to invite the Lord into our homes and into our lives and into the core of who we are, when we bring Jesus in and make him Lord of our families, he illuminates his original intent. His original creation. What do you? What do you meant for you to be? Mm-hmm. You actually find yourself. You're so scared, and that's part of that control. Um, you have to give up a little bit of control. You're hanging on, but if you give it to the Lord, actually, the opposite of all your fears happen as far as identity is concerned. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay. It's good. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But we need to take a side note here because um, we're working on the the concept of husbands and wives a lot, but we need to acknowledge that not every marriage is okay. Mm -hmm. God doesn't take pleasure and approve of his children being abused, devalued. Um, Do you know what I mean? You you might want to go from here. You said it so good last time. Um, We're not giving the okay for submitting to someone who's abusing. You know, even in this room, there's probably people who have been or are currently in relationships that are, are not healthy and are not okay to the Lord. The Lord doesn't rule and reign by fear, anger, manipulation, conversion. No, I mean, he, he rules and reigns out of love. And so he, that doesn't please him. So if you're saying, oh, I'm submitting to someone who's beating me, 
it actually isn't pleasing unto the Lord. He he doesn't want that for you. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's, you know, if there's a, a woman here who is trapped in some sort of a situation and is doing her level best to be a submissive wife like Jesus and your husband is a violent rageaholic and is beating you up, I'm here to tell you that's not in the Lord. And you need to get help real quick. And if your husband's cheating on you, uh, that's not being submissive either. Either you're actually you're actually allowing open doors of hell to be to be open wide open and 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 all kinds of dysfunction to enter in. That's not what we're talking about here at all. Uh, the Lord doesn't control people with 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 pain and with harm and by beating people up. That's not who that's not who He is, and that's not what uh, that's not what the Apostle Paul has in mind here at all. But what we really want to get it get at is that submission actually leaves us vulnerable, which can be scary, but at the same time, it reveals the optimal soil for growing love. Um, you know that we've talked about this a lot because um, free will is such a big deal. When you take the, the risk of loving someone, you take the risk of them not loving you and it opens up vulnerability, but without that, you never get to experience love. And it's, it's the same in a relationship. Um, that level of submission is really important to reveal the soil that love can grow in yeah the kind of love that the lord is asking husbands and wives and bosses and employees and and children and parents to enter into is the kind of love that 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 opens itself and gives itself to another person in the absence of full foreknowledge of what will happen next see some of us are only willing to love to the degree that we know what will happen next right says it's just more control uh, we we need to as husbands and as wives in particular we need to open ourselves to one another and begin to begin to live with a submissive heart begin to live with a with a laid down with a laid down heart toward one another even when we don't know what the outcome will be she might hurt me fun fact i might hurt her when we um, got engaged adam was a political science major and i was going to be a doctor hey yeah so the the truth is nobody knows what they're really saying yes to. So we have to give up that bit of control. Uh, also, when the Apostle Paul says that husbands should love their wives, he says not only should wives submit to their husbands, but husbands should love their wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, the Apostle Paul has in mind a particular kind of love. And here again, uh, the example is Jesus. So when he says to wives, hey, you should, you should submit to your husband. He, he has, the picture he has in his mind is of Jesus being submitted to the Father. But here when he says to husbands, you should love your wives and not be harsh with them, the picture again is Jesus who laid down his life. Uh, there's a parallel passage with this passage in Colossians. It's in Ephesians. It's chapter 5. And the Apostle Paul says, Husbands, you should love your wife like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the kind of love that Paul is talking about. This is the kind of love that kingdom people embody. Uh, kingdom people are those who love with Jesus' kind of love. And Jesus' kind of love is self-sacrificial. It doesn't require a return. It works for the other person's benefit. And by the way, this is really glorious on Sunday morning, and it's hard on Monday. Right? Like, this is like, everybody's like, yeah, self-sacrificing love. I want to be a kingdom person. Right? Till Tuesday morning, right? But this is where the kingdom comes. This is when the, when, the, when the kingdom of heaven, when the order of God begins to come into your house, when you can be the kind of person that looks at someone else and says, you know what? Even if you're bad to me, I'm going to love you. 
Even if you're harsh to me, I'm going to make you breakfast. Even if you don't pay attention or say thank you, I'm going to go the extra mile. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to do for you even if your actions don't warrant it. I'm going to give you my strength. Rather than taking my strength and holding you down, I'm going to get my strength and we get underneath you and I'm going to pick you up. This is how Jesus works. Jesus, the most brilliant man in the whole universe. Do you guys realize that Jesus is the smartest guy who ever lived? That's one of the things that most people in the church don't actually believe. Jesus is smarter than Albert Einstein. Jesus is the most brilliant. Jesus is, uh, Jesus is just the best. He had the best heart. And Jesus was the most powerful. Cast devils out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Jesus was awesome. And he lived his entire life for people who were not awesome. For people who didn't say thank you. That's the kind of love that the Apostle Paul says that husbands should have. Husbands, you should have the kind of love in your life. Kingdom people. You want to be a kingdom person? Be the kind of person who has the kind of love that can take their strength and can put it into service for someone else, even if they don't say thank you. Even if they're not aware of it. Even if they won't look at it or acknowledge it. See, at the center of every home are husbands and wives who are following Jesus' lead and example. Now, I do think it's interesting that the Apostle Paul puts that little comma there and says, and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives. Love them like Jesus loves and do not be harsh. Well, the reason he says not to be harsh is very simple because strong people tend to be harsh. How do I know this? I'm a strong person. I tend to be harsh. I know this by example. Personal experience. Strong people tend to be harsh and they tend to be harsh precisely because um, a strong person doesn't need the other person. Like in the areas I'm strong, I don't need my wife, right? And when you're more powerful in some way, either intellectually, physically, or by how much money you make, it's easy to begin to think that these other people are actually roadblocks to my goals. And when you think someone else is a roadblock to your goal, especially if you live with them, then it's easy as a strong person to become, there's a little dust layer of resentment that gets put over this person. And now the next thing you know, rather than kind and humble hearted, now I'm harsh. Don't be harsh with them. It's possible to live with a dust layer of frustration or anger at someone who needs you. Someone who doesn't contribute in the same efficient way that you do in your area of strength. Harshness is almost always overvaluing one's own strength and contribution while being totally blind to someone else's contribution. Men especially tend to judge based on the spots where they are great and miss everything that was happening while they were out winning. This is what men do. I can tell you right now. The reason I know this is because I am one. One of the things that men do is we have an area of strength or an area of proficiency. We go out and we win all day long in our area of strength or proficiency. And then maybe we come home and our wife is not strong in the same place that we're strong. And then we judge her on the place where we're strong based upon her weakness. And then we become harsh. We become taskmasters. You want, to ruin your, you want to ruin your life? You want to ruin your home? You want, to, you want to make your wife bitter? Man, start judging her on your area of strength. Do not be harsh. No, do not. Likewise, in the kingdom, we don't win ever by force. Like you might win on earth, but in the kingdom, we don't progress and we don't win by force. Wives submit like Jesus, who submitted his whole life to the Father's will. Husbands love like Jesus who laid down his life. In the kingdom, you don't win by force ever. You don't win by using your strength over people. You don't win by using your strength to keep people pressed down. You don't. 
In the kingdom, you win by using your strength in service. That's how you win. Everybody in the room probably wants to win, right? Here's how you win in the kingdom of God. You win by using your strength in service. In the kingdom, you win by embracing your weakness. That's the hardest thing to do. And in the kingdom, you win by rejecting the notion that strength is dominance. See, we have, we have a thousand voices telling us every single day in America that strength is dominance. If you're strong, you dominate. You dominate. You dominate. The kingdom of heaven says strength is never dominance. If you watch Sunday, if you, on Sunday, if you click on the, the TV and you watch football, one of the subtexts to football is strength is dominance. We don't let them up. We hold them down. We, hold, we hit them, and then we hit them again. And then we do the Ray Lewis dance, and then we hit them again. But in the kingdom of heaven, strength is never dominance. Strength is always service, and it oftentimes looks like weakness. For instance, Jesus is the crucified Messiah. That's the one reason that so many people couldn't believe in Jesus. They believed in Jesus right up to the point that he was crucified. Why? Because Messiahs don't get killed. Like It's, it's like the main thing that a Messiah doesn't do. It, messiahs don't die. Except that it was the very weakness of Jesus displayed on the cross, which is in fact the paradoxical strength of all the ages for you and I. Uh, Jesus looked like a criminal. Gospel of Luke is the one person who tells us this, that Jesus was crucified between two criminals, right? Well, the subtext there is everybody who walked by assumed that Jesus was a criminal, right? He's up there, he's up there with a thief, and he's up there with another guy who killed somebody. Jesus must be a criminal, no, actually, he was the most innocent man in the entire universe. Uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is this upside-down kingdom where weakness is actually strength, and you can't use your strength to dominate people and ever accomplish a kingdom goal. You, go for it. In a, in a marriage, if a husband and a wife are fighting by force, there isn't any room for the Lord to work. Like all of the space is taken up by the fight for control and the fight with all of your strength. And so this is really where submission comes in is actually submitting unto the Lord, the, um, the right, the invitation to come in and be the strength. Yeah. You, you can't yell your way to love. Some of us just need to grab a hold of that this morning. You can't yell your way to love. You can't punch your way to peace and you can't resist your way to harmony. Demanding is an instant thing, but loving is a process. Um, you can demand something of someone and get instant results, but it doesn't grow love and it doesn't change a person's heart. That takes a process. It takes time. And like we talked about at the very beginning, it'll probably take a lot of time because we are all working out this journey together. And we're all imperfect. We're all working out what it looks like to look like Jesus. And so we just really need to embrace that it is going to take some time and it's going to take, it's going to be a process. Obeying, loving, submitting, um, and serving are all actions connected to the idea that to do these things as if we are doing them unto God himself. And that's kind of the whole point here. Um, this isn't a brand new message. It's really more of the same, becoming more like Jesus, love like Christ's love. It, we're just applying this to the very basis of our, of our home life. And so um, we can't say 
that it's easy to um, to be able to submit and love and trust immediately our friends, spouses, husbands, wives, children, because we've probably been burned in the past. And if, if you're like me, um, sometimes I struggle with uh, letting things go right away. And so sometimes you might have even a laundry list of reasons why I can't trust that person. I can't submit to that person. Oh, they did this last time. They said they would do this and they didn't. And, and it can be tough. We kind of don't have that problem with Jesus because we're like, oh, yeah, he hasn't flaked out on us. But um, it's really important that we begin seeing people the way Jesus sees them and take that risk and become vulnerable. We need to love like Christ loved, even in the privacy of our own home and even in the secrecy of our inner thought life and our inner dialogue and conversations. That's where the good stuff is. Uh, in, In the world, things happen outside in. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's inside out every time. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that got put inside the dough, right? Like the good stuff comes inside out. Jesus said that there's a guy who went and sowed seed in the field. He threw the seed and it got covered up. Got covered up by the soil. And from that hidden place in the soil, something amazing grew out. So what God is inviting us into now is he's inviting for these interior conversations, these interior motives. He's inviting us to give him access to that. Let the kingdom come there. Now, a few questions for everyone to consider as we kind of deal with this this week. Some really, I think, some important stuff here. What if we got what we wanted? What if... As wives and husbands and children and bosses and employees, what if we got what we wanted by demanding? What if we got everything running like a clock? Just consider your life. What if you got everything running like a clock? You got a clean house, and you got regular sex, and you got plenty of sleep, and lots of shopping money, and you got well-behaved kids, you got an efficient workplace, you got a boat in the garage. You got a plasma screen TV. You got the best cable package. But what if you got it by demanding and in the process you became a tyrant? What if we created a culture of fear in our homes and our workplaces? What if we became dictators? This is the problem with demanding. Dictator will oftentimes get the result that he's looking for, but in the process will do harm to the person that he was hoping for a result from, not realizing that the greatest harm was in fact done to himself. It's entirely possible to begin with a noble motive, but a noble motive divorced from Jesus' methods can turn you into a Hitler. This is why how we do something is just as important as what gets done. In the kingdom of heaven, the end does not justify the means. See, we live in a world where it's just, you know, it doesn't matter how it happens, just get it done, right? We're results-based. Kingdom of heaven is less way interested in results and way more interested in how something happens. Um, I was reminded this morning, you guys remember the time that Jesus was tempted in the desert, right? And the devil comes to him in one of the temptations and says, Hey, How about this? How about I give you all the kingdoms of the world? All you have to do is bow down to me. Now, how many of you understand that it was the Father's good pleasure to give his son the nations as an inheritance? That's right out of the Psalms, right? So the devil is offering Jesus something that's good and right for him to have. But he was offering it to him with a wrong method. See, in the kingdom of heaven, methods do not 
methods matter and the end do not and the ends do not justify the means so you could you could have a right a right end point but if you employ the wrong method at your house you could become a dictator and end up creating a toxic non-kingdom environment so demanding is not the place we start we start with a jesus heart we take that jesus narrative and we multiply it we multiply it into our homes we multiply it into our families we multiply it at work we multiply it into our thoughts we meditate on it we meditate on it we meditate on it we don't ever buy into the notion that the jesus method was for jesus alone it's for us that's the jesus we have living in here we've got submissive jesus living on the inside We've got submissive Jesus lay down his life on the cross, living on the inside. And so here's what I hear the Spirit saying from this passage to our church this morning. I hear the Spirit saying uh, to everyone in the room that is strong and to everyone in the room that has power, uh, use your strength and use your power to serve people. Don't ever be the kind of person who oppresses people with your strength. If you're a really smart person, don't go around making people feel dumb. If you're a really smart person, help people. If you're a strong person, help people. If you've, got, if you've got tremendous emotional fortitude, if you're a risk taker and you can get out there and make it happen, help people. Don't belittle people. I hear the Spirit saying uh, that weakness and submission are demonstrations of Jesus' strength. If you find yourself in a weak spot this morning, if you find yourself in a weak spot this morning, if, if, if you've got a boss who's difficult, I, I hear the Spirit saying that there's a, there's a chance that you can show uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, even in your weakness. Because in the kingdom, weakness is oftentimes the strongest thing going. I also hear the Spirit saying that our little homes are pictures of God's big kingdom. Yeah, you know what would be a real tragedy? It would be a real tragedy to have all kinds of Jesus stuff happening out here, but not have it happening here. How many of you understand it's actually easier to have it happening out there than it is right here? How many of you understand this? You can get it going on out there, and it may never run the back channel into your home. But if you get it going on right here, it will always go out. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've met people in ministry. This is really common. And it's common for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, of the, one of the reasons this is common is because the devil uh, hates pastors and he hates pastors' kids. But I can't tell you how many pastors who have successful ministries and have terrible homes. And some of it's because the devil hates pastors and he hates pastors' kids. But some of it's because pastors got more, con- more, more concerned with what happens out here than they ever were with what happens right here. I, uh, most people who are in traveling ministry have kids who hate Jesus. It's entirely possible to have it awesome out here and not have it right here at all. See, I hear the Spirit saying that our little homes matter. God... God, he, he, he touched the Apostle Paul, and he put that little piece there in Colossians there for a reason. You know, it's not just about cosmic Christ ruling at the edges of the ever-expanding universe, but it's also cosmic Christ ruling at 325 Roachville Road, Campbellsville, Kentucky, 42718. What if it was possible to get it out here but never have it here? That'd be terrible. And the fourth thing I hear the Spirit saying this morning to everyone in the room is, that how we treat our wives and husbands and kids and bosses and employees says something with how we're seeing God. You know, it's, it's one thing to pick up the Bible and read it and go, you know, I believe in Jesus. And it's another thing to go, well, I'm going to pray for the sick and, and see them be healed. Or, I, you know, I'm going to, I want to I give my life to oppressed people. Um, 
It's another thing altogether to see the love of Jesus build a foundation for the people who are closest to us. Sometimes it's easier to care about people that I don't live with. But I hear the, I hear the Spirit of Jesus saying that one of, the, one of the best indicators for how I'm actually seeing Jesus, whether I'm seeing him with clear eyes or not, is how I treat this person right here and that guy right there and those little guys who are over in that wing somewhere. This is a really big deal. It's not just cosmic Christ at the edge of the universe. It's cosmic Christ at our home addresses. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? We want to have some people here to pray for one another. Also, at the end of this message, if you would like to receive prophetic ministry, we would love for you to uh, receive that. I think there's a sign-up back there. Justin will get you hooked up. That'll be great. Why don't you guys stand up? I want to pray for you guys. After I'm finished praying, um, hey, if you need prayer for anything, you come on up. we got a couple of people here who would love to pray for you. If, you're, if your marriage is a wreck, come on up. We want to pray for you. If you are sick in your body, um, we want to pray for you. If you're just having a hard time, uh, we want to pray for you. All right? Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you put your hand on your heart? Father, thanks for your son, Jesus. God, thanks for... Thanks for a God who is kind and compassionate. God, thanks for being the kind of person who doesn't use his strength to squash people. God, thanks for being patient and generous. God, thanks for being the kind of person who invites people into a new kind of life. Father, right now, I ask that you would give everybody in the room grace. God, that you would give us grace to be the sort of people who do not use our strength to lord it over other people. God, for those of us who are intellectually brilliant, Father, I ask that you would make us servants of the weak. God, for those of us who are, who are just talented, God, know how to make money. God, would you make us servants rather than, than harsh masters? God, for those of us who are, who are just just amazing in some other areas. God, I ask that you would that you would give us a kingdom heart to help the weak. And let it start at home. And we ask it in your name, Jesus, who laid down his life for people who didn't say thank you. Amen.